the sound of praise for your Sunday morning. The only one who could ever teach me. Introducing Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Was the son of a preacher man. And Rabbi Joseph Potasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, on Talk Radio 77 WABC, here's the Reb and the Rabbi, where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, I missed you so on the Bezos flight. We waited for you. Uh, I said, I think he's coming, and then we had to take off without you. I, you. I did not get the text or the email, so yeah, I don't know well, what happened. I saved that. you a suit, so you can, you can wear the outfit, everybody will think you're on it. So, Rev, there's much to talk about uh, on this Sunday. The, you've read about the controversy. Ben and Jerry's uh, doesn't want to sell ice cream on the West Bank in Israel. Uh, this is what we call BDS, Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions. Um, so, so wait, Rabbi, now you're going to have to explain that because some of our listeners yeah. don't even know, they don't even eat Ben and Jerry's ice cream, matter of fact. Well, not after I say what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, there is a, there's a law now in New York, I think there's a federal law as well, that you're not allowed to boycott Israel. It's, uh, it's a democratic country. Um, and Ben and Jerry says we don't like some of the policies. Uh, we don't like what's going on in the West Bank. And therefore, and by the way, when they say West Bank, that includes Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So um, they are they're not going to sell, which means Palestinians living in those areas won't get ice cream as well. Now, the question raised is, why don't they do that to China? You know, uh, China has the uh, uh, mistreatment of the Uyghurs, Tibet. Why, why Israel and not China, Malaysia, Cuba, Venezuela? Uh, it's really a, a one standard uh, for one group and a different standard for others. And that's, that's, that's important that you brought up that um, one group is being held to a higher standard than the others, or a standard, period, uh, than the other group. I think that, that that's important. That's a very important question you raised. Now, why? Why are they boycotting? What policies? Well, they, they feel, you know, settlements, growth of settlements, but if you really want peace, bring parties to the table. Let people negotiate in good faith. That's the solution. It's not about, you know, boycott. What is this boycott going to accomplish? Nothing. Nothing except ill will. Um, and again, why Israel? Why not the other countries that have these clear violations of human rights? Um, well, you know, I, it does accomplish something. It brings attention. Brings attention to Ben and Jerry's, brings attention to the issues. Where people will ultimately land on these issues, I, I, I don't know, because it leaves it to question. And there are two sides to every coin, to every story, right? Well, I want to hear their side. I mean, I, I don't get it. And there's been a lot of protest activity. Uh, and I'm proud that, uh, you know, John Katsimatidis, uh Avi Kainer and Morton Williams and uh, Gristidis and D'Agostinos, they're not going to promote Ben and Jerry's. They think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we, don't, we don't like what they're doing, and they're going to pay a price for it. And I commend them for that. Uh, Isn't that a world that we live in where we can boycott and then boycott the boycott? Yeah, well, the, you'd have to be able to, you know, I, I think you can protest when there's a moral principle here, but when you, you do based on hypocrisy, then I don't get it. I don't understand, you know, what what that accomplishes, except puts you in a very bad light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right. Well, you know, speaking of light, um, the Pope, uh, Francis, weighed in very nicely concerning uh, Jews. Mm-hmm. You know about that, right? Yeah, the Latin Mass. There were phrases there that were derogatory of Jews, and uh, what he is saying is remove them. We're not going to use them uh, in the Latin Mass. And it's not easy to change tradition, uh, but I think uh, the Pope is uh, hes one that recognizes uh, tradition evolves. So uh, I want to commend him uh, because he's, he has sought to bring Jews, Christians closer to one another. Right. Right, right. And look, you know, I, I, I know that in the early part of the 2000s, uh, the Vatican committed to rebuilding relationships with the Protestant community. I had the opportunity to host both uh, Pope Benedict and uh, uh, Pope Francis as part of that initiative, and also to repair uh, some of the relationship with uh, the Jewish community. Yeah. So we, we, we've seen these things happening over the last two decades. And this is a pope who, since growing up in Argentina, has been close to the Jews, and he brings that uh, uh, to his uh, his calling. Um, let's talk about, you know, I want to talk about the vaccine. Because uh, I, I hear, yeah. you know, I hear of people who just refuse to take it. And I don't understand, unless you can provide some kind of real solid medical argument, uh, but where you're endangering your life and other lives, I don't understand the wisdom of it. And I think religion requires you to save lives, yours and others. You know, that's a tough thing when you say religion requires you to save lives. Some of the people who don't want to take the vaccine are expressing their objections through a religious lens, a theology of an apocalyptic theology that looks at the vaccine as, you know, the mark of the beast um, government intrusion in into their lives, uh, and these these are their feelings, and these are some of their fears. You know, government has a number of regulations for safety. You know, you can't drive at any speed you want. So, um, if that's true, and we're talking about really saving life here through a vaccine, why should you object to it? Um, and now with the Delta variant you see the numbers are increasing, and that's frightening. We've gone through a difficult period with a mask. I mean, do we want to remask? Uh, so I, I think it's for us as faith leaders to make the statement, take the vaccine. That's why houses of worship become places for vaccine vaccination. You right. did that. Yep, yep. We did it on several occasions. In fact, uh, Tish James, the uh, AG, and I uh, took it together and uh, made a public statement uh, about it, trying to encourage people. And, and, you know, the role that we religious leaders play, we are we are trusted individuals for the most part. Never mind, you know, scandals on the side that, you know, tend to play. <laughs> but for the most part, our, you know, religious leaders are trusted individuals in the community and in the hearts and minds of the people. And when there is a scandal, we speak out, you know, hopefully, you know, People stand together and speak out against it. We can't. We cannot condone any kind of scandal. That shames right. all of us. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. So, yeah. before we interview our guest, I want to talk to you about one last thing that I find very troubling: behavior at sporting events. Um, yeah. You mean throwing balls? Throwing baseball? balls. Yeah. Throwing anything, <laughs> any object. We saw that at a basketball game. You know, Moynihan spoke of the dumbing down. This is the moral dumbing down. You go to a game and you. 
Oh, and one particular fan spitted someone from the opposing side out in the parking lot. Um, where, where does this come from, this lack of respect, basic respect? You know, life is about boundaries, and boundaries are there to protect us. Etiquette is there to protect us, keep the peace, maintain respect. Can you imagine? I, I, I'll tell you, that my first time in, in an African country that is developing, they had no lines on the road, Rabbi. Mm. So you just, and, and it was two directional. <laughs> yeah. There was no yellow line yeah. in the middle, no, no white lines to divide lanes, and people just drove. Yeah. And I will tell you, it was scary. <laughs> just being yeah, in the yeah, vehicle. Yeah. So I mean, can you imagine life without boundaries, yeah, without guides, can, without parameters? Yeah. We remove them. It can be well, chaos. chaos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we have a guest coming on, Cheryl McKissick, a loyal uh, parishioner, uh, very accomplished. And I think people will really enjoy what she has to say. I look forward to talking with her, as you do, uh, because uh, she has much to share. Stay tuned to the Rev and the Rabbi. And the Rabbi. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Pachasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potastin. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend Bernard, you have raved about this person many, many times to me. I know she's a loyal devotee of your congregation, of you. So thank you, uh, Cheryl McKissick, for being on the program today. Rev, why don't you introduce her? Well, you know, she has been a member of CCC for more than 20 years. So I've watched her family, her and her family grow and develop. And I watched her uh just incredibly moved from one level to another in life, work, and ministry because she considers what she does uh, an outreach, bringing, you know, God's love, life, and light through the industry that she's involved with. You know, she's an engineer, prominent African-American businesswoman, and she's the CEO of the construction and engineering firm, uh, the McKissack Group. You know, Rabbi, her family has been involved in construction since 1905 with the firm responsible for some of the finest buildings in America. And among them, jewels like Harlem Hospital, Lincoln Field in Philadelphia, Medgar Evers College in Brooklyn. And she currently, Rabbi, heads up this family-owned business founded by her grandfather uh, from her office in Manhattan. And she's involved in several new projects aimed at promoting uh, people of color, of course. Uh, And we welcome business leader, entrepreneur, and CEO of the McKissick Group, Cheryl McKissick. Now, that was an introduction. You know, Rev, I just think how wonderful it is for a grandfather to see a legacy being perpetuated. Because, you know, very often the kids don't want to go into the business. They want nothing to do with it. They want to go in a totally different direction. And to be able to see generation after generation, what a tribute. It's really very, very uh, inspiring. Cheryl, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, and thank you for that awesome introduction. 
Um, and I do want to note that I have been a member of PCC since April of 1993. No, 92. <laughs> you hear that, Rabbi? That's called retention. That's keeping power. Yeah. See? And a contributor as well. With the yeah. important yeah. stuff. There you go, Rabbi. That's that's the important <laughs> stuff. But Cheryl, you know, there was recently a, a piece on ABC about you and your family. Tell us about that, please. Oh, sure. Yeah, that was very um, interesting. We really enjoyed it. Every time I get to um, interact with my twin sister, it's always a delight because uh, we're both out there separately um, while we are very similar in our business, we aren't we aren't really working together. So it, it was good that ABC was able to bring us together for a Juneteenth celebration to talk about our accomplishments and the many generations that we have been in business um, and hear from us what our perspective has been as far as, you know, five generations in America. Uh, so it was a great tribute to all the work that not only Daryl and I have had the opportunity to work on, but also um, the decades and, and years of work of our ancestors. You know, you know uh, Rabbi uh, Cheryl and her family, wonderful family, mm -hmm. and her mom is a treat. And boy, we can get her on our show. That's going to be a reality TV show right there. But, you know, uh, Cheryl is, is modest. She's humble, but she has done incredibly well. And this company is one of the first of its kind in America and that whole Juneteenth celebration, of course, celebration of the uh, emancipation of blacks in, in, in America. But, Cheryl, it, it started with your uh, your lineage there and the challenges being a black company operating mm -hmm. at a time that there was Jim Crow and segregation. Right. Sure. Well, our company dates back, you know, to the first descent of our family. So Moses McKissick, the first, you know, had to overcome slavery. Mm. Uh, so um, Jim Crow, slavery, um, segregation, and then just all of the uh, negative connotations that come with running a, a black or female owned business. Um, we continue to to deal with a, a lot of that, um, and the series really special uh, focused on you know just just how did you do that? Uh, most companies don't make it past the second or third generation, and here we are, fifth generation. Uh, you know, Cheryl, uh, which yeah, I, I've walked by construction sites, and I see more women uh, working there. And I got to tell you, it's very flattering as they whistle at me when I walk by. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> but sure. is this something that we're seeing growing female participation in the construction world? It is, but it's, it's very uh, slight. It's not as much as we would like to see. We definitely need more progress in that area. Um, typically, a construction site. Uh, that has a workforce goal for women will strive to get 5% of the workforce uh, female. I think the highest I've ever seen it on, in New York City is probably slightly less than 10%. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Um, but it is being expanded by organizations uh, called Non-Traditional um, Employment for Women, um, who train women and uh, have apprentice programs for them to enter into the various unions. No. Uh, Cheryl, let me ask you a question, because, you know, there's a lot going on in terms of where people are socially, politically, conservative, left, right, all that kind of stuff. But you've navigated these these choppy waters very well. But you tend to subscribe to conservative values. Is that is that true? <laughs> yes, that is true. Um yeah, I, I do believe in uh, conservative values, um, especially when it comes to my spirituality, but also with fiscal responsibility. Um, and uh, although New York tends to be uh, more on the Democratic side of things, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> there are uh, uh, many Democrats who feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yes, I've had to navigate politics and um, you know how politics is. No mm-hmm. permanent enemies, no permanent friends. <laughs> just common interests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I look yeah. for those common interest items and, you know, that's what I promote. So, Cheryl, you know, we often hear it said it is very difficult to start business in New York. There are so many obstacles placed in front of you so many hurdles that you have to overcome. Can you discuss that with us? What does it mean to start a, a business in New York City? Well, I can talk about it uh, specifically around construction. Mm-hmm. The you know the entry, uh, the barriers to entry are very high. Um, you know, you need to have capital, uh, especially today because the projects are much larger than what they used to be. Um, you know, a million dollars is not a project at all in New York right now. Mm-hmm. Most projects that we tend to work on are, you know, multiples of millions of hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be able to uh, enter that market, it requires uh, bonding capacity um, and, and uh, capital. Uh, to start a business and then passing all, through all the red tape uh, to be a contractor in the city. Um, they do extensive background checks because of all the corruption that has taken place in previous years. Um, you know, so you really have to be a stellar business owner mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> to be effective in New York City. How nice of you, Rev, to lend her all that money. For these yeah, projects, yeah, right. I, you know, yeah, right. that really is it. If you couple in the MWBE certifications, we have probably 45 certifications. And so we have one individual in our company, and all she does is work on certifications for us. Uh, so that in itself is expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, the certification, they, they, they know everything there is to know about you as an individual, about your company, about your family. Um, those some of the things that we try and push back on as MWBE firms that majority firms do not have to make that much information public. 
You know, I'm going to say this proudly, uh, Cheryl, but you, you, you are an exceptional person, but you're not an exception to a rule. Uh, I think that you are the rule, that if you work hard and push through all of the hurdles and the roadblocks that come in many, many different forms, you can actually establish something generationally. Would you agree with this statement? Absolutely. You know, it, but it takes patience. It's, it's, it's baby steps, you know, it's growing by levels and stages. It is, um, you know, there's setbacks, there are the ebbs and flow of business. Uh, but if you persevere, just continue to, to keep your head down, stay in your lane, uh, and pursue the opportunities that are in front of you, yes, you can grow a generational business. We're talking with business leaders. And I truly believe that's what my ancestors Uh did uh, to get around all the obstacles that they were faced with. And, I mean, the key to that is building relationships. Mm. Ah, Yeah, yeah, and that is so important. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCradio.com. We're business leader, entrepreneur, CEO of the McKissick Group, Cheryl McKissick. Cheryl, I'm listening to all of this, and I'm thinking to myself, one day, hopefully, our kids or grandchildren will be able to see opportunities where we won't have to speak of people of color as not people of color, that people based on ability, on merit, will be able to you know, receive uh, employment, be able to build. There'll be no separation. Uh, to me, that... That is the goal uh, as part of the, your pursuit, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, um, you know, of course, that's utopia. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I have been on the phone all morning and uh, with the mayor's office of MWBE, with DDC's office of MWBE, and unfortunately, black and Hispanic firms are falling further and further behind. Um, and so, you know, the disparity within the disparity is what we have to focus on to create the utopia that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. We really need to peel back the onion and understand why is it that black firms and Hispanic firms have a much more difficult time than, uh, say, a woman-owned business, um, an Asian-owned business, uh, Indian-owned business. Um, and you know, that, that's going to take some work. Yeah. Yeah. And we're in a changing, rapidly changing, uh, American society. We're becoming more racially, ethnically diverse. And, you know, that conjures up all types of fears, uh, concerning change. But I think there's enough America to go around for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're willing to, pay the price to, you know, do what it takes. And sometimes it means changing the mind of the status quo, you know, mm-hmm. pushing back against some of the resistance to change. I think we're in America right now where 
you know, groups of people feel their status and place in American society is, is, is being threatened and, and, and they're pushing back. Yeah. But America makes mm-hmm. a promise. And I hate to get preachy here, Rabbi, I'm, I'm a preacher. But America makes a promise based on equality that we can have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. And that's an American dream that we've had to fight for. And so, I, I think that's our responsibility also as faith leaders. Uh, you look back historically uh, at the leaders of our tradition, respective traditions. Uh, they were iconoclasts. They fought the status quo because they felt the status quo often was unfair. I mean, when you have someone like Abraham arguing with God, you know, saying, don't destroy those cities. If you can argue with God, you can argue with the government, right? You, <laughs> right? So, uh, so I think we have a role to play here uh, when we see mm-hmm. inequity. When I listen to Cheryl and she talks about, you know, all, all of the difficulties that certain firms of certain backgrounds have to face, we have to say something because – Mm-hmm. Why Why should it be that way? Why shouldn't there be? I mean, we preach a standard for all people, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Equal opportunity mm-hmm. for all people. Why right. shouldn't that be the case after all of these years? Yeah. And that's what, that's that's the greatness of America. You know, America has to be great and good at the same time. I think those two things uh, should go together. Cheryl, you've navigated like many uh, corporations, organizations, the pandemic. How how has the pandemic changed the landscape for your uh, business? For your well, business, uh, for well, for for our business, you know, there was a whole lot more testing uh, on construction sites. We had to have less people on the floors. Um, we had to run, you know, three shifts, so it became more expensive. Um, mm. Quite frankly, and then um, of course, a lot of workers were getting sick, um, and so there was a you know a, um, not as much labor available um, during the the really tough months that New York um, was, was suffering with COVID, uh, probably first part of last year. Um, but we've gotten past that, and um, fortunately. The governor made uh, certain projects or construction projects essential, which kept a lot of the workforce going Mm -hmm. um, because that was very important. You didn't want to shut down all the workforce of New York City. Um, It was important that, you know, the airports, the uh, MTA um, hospitals, that they continue to be constructed. Um, and and a lot of this was the best time to construct because there weren't people in airports. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. They weren't yeah, in so. schools. So some clients took advantage of that. Um, so as far as business, we had shutdowns probably the first couple of months, um, probably 10 or 12 projects shut down. But they were all pretty much back online within a couple of months. So sure. Hmm. Well, where's the trajectory? Uh, the other effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where are we going uh, as a city? I mean, do you see, you know, there there is an exodus. There are people, as you know, who have left. Uh, we have a serious crime mm-hmm. issue in New York. And mm-hmm. if it's not safe, then the people are not going to do business here, not going to live here. Uh, where do you see this trajectory going? Well, um, in our industry, it's a hybrid. I mean, I've seen everything from um, owners that want 
their entire staff back in the office to, you know, owners sizing down. I know a construction company out there who doesn't have an office now and will not have an office. Mm. Um, And everything is done remotely. So I think that there's always going to be this hybrid. Um, In our office at McKissick, uh, there is, we do not demand that anyone come into the office right now. Um, And, you know, if people want to come, they have to come on certain days because we still feel that the social distancing is necessary. Um, And of course we can't ask anyone if they were vaccinated. Oh, that's a, wow. Why, wow. Why, why not? Why why can't you as well, running a company, why can't you ask them? I mean, they're asking, you know, when you come into houses of worship, uh, there are people asking, you know, let's see your, let's see the pass or uh, let's see proof that you, you know, three days from the COVID test, uh, you were, you, you're free of it. Um, why, I don't understand why you can't ask. Uh, well, we've been advised by our um HR attorney not to do that no. because it could be discriminatory. Um, and so we have to assume we have to go on an honor system right now. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, um, you know. And so with that in mind, um, you know, I'm, I am not interested in pushing staff to come back anytime soon until we get through this Delta virus. Um, and, um, Variant and see if uh, you know once that passed, then maybe you know we'll be in a much better place. The worst thing is to have everyone or demand everyone to come into the office and then a month later tell everyone they have to go back home. Yeah, yeah, we want to <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's um, and true. Then it, and then it makes sense. I mean, you, uh, our marketing director she commutes two hours each way, and instead of commuting, she's working. Uh, so. Yeah. It's yeah, it's, cha- it's really changed. Of, of getting yeah, I'm just going to say, space. yeah, mm-hmm. it's changed the game uh, because you need less yes. office space um, and people are empowered to accomplish more uh, working from home. So I, I guess mm-hmm. we're all still trying to figure out this new normal. So, Cheryl, what, what are you working on now? What's what's the big project you're working on now in, in the city? We are the program managers for Terminal 1, which is the new Terminal 1 at JFK Airport. We Mm. work for the Carlisle Group, Magic Johnson Enterprises, and Loop Capital. They are our client and our owner. It is $6.5 billion uh, new terminal, state-of-the-art at JFK. So we are very excited about this this project. we will have NWBE participation in every phase of this project at the level of 30% or more. <laughs> and that goes from the financing um, to the attorneys that we bring online um, to absolutely all the uh, design professionals and, and construction. Wow. Uh, so this will be an unprecedented MWBE program. Could you explain those letters? People are listening. They're saying, what exactly does that stand yeah, for? Minority Women-Owned Business Enterprises. Mm-hmm. So, sure. uh, Well, uh, you know, that's a wonderful thing because, you know, that's that's where uh, Rabbi flies out of in his private jet. 
Yeah, uh, from it's, JFK. It's waiting. It, yeah, as a matter of fact, they're preparing it right now. Yeah, he hasn't given me a ride on it yet, Cheryl. So I, I guess I, you know, it takes time for me to get to that level. I'll so take you for a ride. Don't you worry. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Cheryl, let's talk about your faith. Uh, Rabbi was going to ask this question. Exactly. I know. I know, no, no, that's exactly what's going to happen because I mean, she, let's talk about your she faith. She loves, Cheryl. but 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 also when you talk about your faith, a message for people of other faiths. Hmm. All right, Cheryl? Sure. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, You know, uh, we've talked about all the struggles, but how do you get through them? You get through them by knowing there's a greater power out there who wants you to succeed, who is there to help you succeed. And I believe that. I believe that, you know, every opportunity that comes my way, um, there is a spiritual connection to it. Um, and so I, when I look at it that way, then, you know, I approach it that way. I take it serious. You know, I, I pay attention to, you know, the people that come in and out of my life. Um, and I understand that most, well, every opportunity um, that I have had has come through someone else. Um, mm. So uh, getting up every morning and understanding that it doesn't all just, Stop with me uh, gives me the ability to, you know, skip through life like a wildflower. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. Well said. (laughs) So, Cheryl, we're we're coming to the end of the the interview. I just want to ask you this and uh, let me put the the rev in the center. You have been a follower of Reverend Bernard for a number of years, CCC, which he leads so well. Tell, Tell us what the Reverend means to you and the family. So uh, Pastor Bernard is a father and a teacher and advisor. Um, He and his wife, um, they are confidants. There has never been a time that they judged, even though I've had to talk to them about some of the worst moments of my life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That I didn't, that I was not happy about. Um, and so they are inspiration. Well, well you know, they they are inspiration for not only me but the other forty five. I don't know how many members we have now, and I don't know how many people listen to you, Pastor. But you continue to be an inspiration and break down the uh, word of truth so we can understand it. So, so it sh- to our lives. So, Cheryl, I'm going to ask you to come over to my side now. You know, you've been with Pastor. Yeah. A lot of years. Mm-hmm. Now it's time to come on the Jewish side. You know, get you involved in the board of rabbis, and well, we, I, I, I'll answer that. <laughs> I, I'll answer. Well, that, we Cheryl. built. Wait a minute. Are we talking she, about? She has always been a Judeo Christian. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, come on. Yeah, but exactly. exactly. Now I want to. I want to also, you know, have the Judeo participation here with show. <laughs> and when we talk about the rebuilding of the the third temple, I'm going to put in a recommendation for Cheryl to get that project. Uh-oh. So you know, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. please, thank you. Yeah. Theological thank you. orders here, but I would pray also she gets the job. You're right about that, Rabbi. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're an inspiration uh, to people of all faith, and uh, I really enjoyed listening to this, Reverend. You did a great job, and she's done a great job with you. Uh, and it, it's it's really well, nice. You to know, see. you say that in jest, but it is two ways, yeah. uh, Rabbi. You know, we mm-hmm. we strengthen and build people through the advice that we give them and the instruction. But we become strengthened. You know, we 
we get a return on that investment. And just listening to Cheryl, knowing where she's come from, what she's gone through and where she is today, you know, I, I, I'm proud of her. I really, really am oh. uh, proud of her and her family and what she's accomplished. All right. Business leader, entrepreneur, CEO of the McKissy Group, Cheryl <laughs> McKissick. Thanks so much for being with the Reverend Thank- Rabbi. Thank you, Cheryl. Okay. My God pleasure. Bless. Bye-bye. And we'll be back with Bye. more of the dynamic Rev and, and uh, the Rabbi. rabbi. Wait, right wait, wait, did, wait, did, wait you put, did you put dynamic with the Rabbi, not with the Rabbi? What are you talking about, Judeo-Christian equal time? Okay, right, right here on <laughs> WABC. All Stay right. tuned. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Pachasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Tastic. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, that what a was, pleasure. Yeah, that was a good conversation. You know, I, I think back over the years of being on talk radio, sometimes you have people who are full of this vitriol and they, you know, they're angry and they're bitter and they want to make sure that you hear the, you know, the acrimony. Someone once asked me, what about some of the other people, some of the people who are less, uh, you know, animated? Why aren't they calling? And I think that's a good question. I think, you know, there are those who, who don't sleep and they they kind of get that, you know, they got to get it in. They have to make sure they denigrate somebody. And there are others who are like, you know, here you have Cheryl McKissick doing what she needs to do, helping others get to a better place, proud of her faith tradition, proud of her family. I mean, that's a nice conversation. Absolutely. And she's come a long way. You know, she was being modest in terms of her accomplishments, even though there's some big projects attached to her. But I think the greatest accomplishment for her is her family. And I will tell you, Rabbi, she has seen some tough times. It's not like, you know, all of this has been wonderful and everything in her favor. She has had challenges uh, across the board, family and, 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 and work, and just in her own personal growth. So I look at her and, um, you know, I'm, I'm just so proud. Uh, you know, I I don't know if I mentioned to you, but there's an old tradition in the Orient that the weavers of a rug are told if they make a mistake, they can't remove it. They have to integrate it into the pattern uh, of the of the carpet. And maybe there's a lesson there that there are certain scars and scratches of life you can't take away. But you have to learn somehow to overcome and to build life, even though you're, you, you have those, you know, problems within you. And, and when you can do that... I think you've made a statement of real commitment to life, to God. Um, it's who doesn't go through life without scratches or scars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. And you know, I. By the way, please send me the notes to that sermon. Um, I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that you know, for us, it, not I think, but it is definitely part of our theology. And I've mentioned this from time to time, and, you know, we agree. And that is that out of every tragedy, there is some greater good that we believe comes out of it. We may not see it right away, feel it, understand it. Sometimes it happens immediately. Sometimes it, it, it years later, you look back and say, wow, 
if this had not happened, I would not be where I am today yeah. in a positive way. You know what I mean? You know, I used to tell a congregation, let's focus on the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, any one of them. Tell me you had it easy. Adam, Adam and Eve. Yeah. Did they have it yeah. easy, right? Yeah. No one goes through life easily. I know sometimes we look at someone else and we think, oh, they have it made. We don't. I remember uh, I once saw a couple holding hands and they, they were on in years. And I said to the wife later, I was so impressed that love you have for each other. She said, what are you talking about? He cracks his knuckles. I try. I can't stand that. And I'm holding his hand so he doesn't crack his knuckles. But the point is that, you know, everybody has issues. And the question is, how do you get around the issues? Um, and you can't escape them because life, you don't have those exit doors uh, right. in life. Right. And, and that's right. where faith becomes paramount. Because you have to hold on to something that's secure, something that's going to get you through this. Something much greater than ourselves. Isn't it true, Rabbi? We need that. We need to know that we're part of something much greater than ourselves, some greater purpose and meaning in life, because that's what gives us meaning, um, to know that we're part of something that transcends all of this. And that's where our faith comes in. You know, I don't see how people can live without the hope and the perspective that faith gives, Rabbi. Yeah, and I, I look at, for example, in Psalms, how it says God listens to the broken heart or the healer of the broken heart. Um, and I think, uh, you know, all of us have that broken heart a number of times, uh, mm. you know, and we have to look to that higher power and say, with you, I can get through this. It won't be easy, but I can get, you know, we're approaching 9-11. How did, how did people get through 9-11 if not yeah. believing that, somehow working together uh, that tomorrow would be a better day. Yeah. And, and, you know, to those who listen to our program, who follow us, you know, we try to bring conversations that have meaning, consequence, informational, inspirational, transformational sometimes. Uh, but we want to give hope. And any of you out there that have just reached a place of hopelessness and want to give up, throw your hands up. Um, there's always something more to live for. Uh, and this is not the time for you to surrender. Life is a fight. And I've been told, Rabbi, and I believe it, that all good things are upstream. And sometimes you got to paddle extra hard. Yeah. I, I used to say to people, one of the most important words in the English language is nevertheless, right? Uh, I'm going through a difficult time, but nevertheless, I'm going to persevere uh, with my, my faith and I'm going to get through this. Won't be yeah. easy, uh, but again, nobody goes through life uh, in an easy that easy uh, lane. That you know, uh, it doesn't have you know the easy pass. You don't get that in life. You, you gotta you gotta wait in line. You gotta wait your turn, and eventually you'll get there. Well, you're just throwing. I think I think I got about four sermons out of this show today. I hope I Thank get you. credit just for one of them. <laughs> Rabbi, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. All right. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in every Sunday to uh, spend the morning with uh, the dynamic duo. Incredible friend of mine for more than 30 years. My well, dear friend and brother. Yeah, it's, it's we're family. And yeah. uh, as an only child, I appreciate you even more. So thank you so much. And we look forward to being here next week. With more of the Rev and the Rabbi.